Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you again. Um, my name is Mark Standard. I'm an elder here, and I say that because uh, last Sunday was the first time in a good while that I've been here. Um, it's a COVID thing. <laughs> and um, somebody asked me a week ago, so what changed your mind? And I said, well, I'll have to put it like this. It's a long story, and I don't even know all of it. But the bottom line is I missed it, so I am here. And I've learned that there's a lot of grace in every direction here. For those who have every point of view about COVID, those who have every point of view about masks or no masks, and uh, this is a gracious church, and I thank you for that. But it's good to be back. Um, this morning, how many people remember back in the fall, the last time we was here when I shared about uh, what do you know? Remember? What do you know? And I shared a number of things that God had challenged me. At one point, I was reading Psalm 20, I believe it was, and right in the middle of it, David says, and this I know. And I couldn't go any further. He stopped me right in my tracks. And he said, Mark, what do you know? And I thought, okay, I'll write down a few things that I know that I know. And um, I got four pages. And this was not, okay, what do you remember from the scripture? This is what do you know because people have told you, but this is not even what do you know because the Bible tells you so. Because the Bible, what I know is true is all this, but what do I know that I know that is a, a, it forms a foundation in me that God has proven in me through my life and through the circumstances of my life that I can take to any circumstance at any time is this. And I started to write them down. And I was shocked at how many things that I know. And they do form the bedrock in me. And I remember challenging people to, after that, go home and write down, what do you know? What do you know that you know? And so this morning, um, what I want to do is ask a different question. And um, what I want to do is invite you into my book. You know, I'm, some of you know I'm writing a book. I believe it's going to be called Real People, Real Life, Real God. And it's basically stories from my life, not all of them about me, but some about people whom I love, some about people who I watch. It's really amazing. I can sit in Panera, which I do from time to time, and uh, observe something and a story just comes to me. And God speaks to me in it. And so uh, I thought I'd start with uh, reading part of a story that I wrote about three weeks ago called Cutting Off Ears. I got angry at a little woman, a little old woman in Panera yesterday. I didn't say anything. Here? Here we go. We're on. We back on? Good. I didn't say anything, but I wanted to. I had forgotten to put my mask back on when I went to the men's room. My mind was simply somewhere else. As we passed each other, she turned her head away and put her hand up next to her face to shield herself from me. I was instantly furious, a clear indication that the issue isn't the issue. It felt like this woman was accusing me of trying to kill her, or at least causing her death. So my anger flared up, and I wanted to lash out at her. 
let me just assure you, assure you that this is not my normal reaction. This is not me. So what was going on? In that moment, the woman came to represent all the fear, all the stupidity, all the gullibility. Where am I? Um, oh, here we are. And worse, of everyone surrendering their freedoms and my grandchildren's freedoms as well. Wow. I got all that from a split-second interaction. Well, first things first. Truth be known, the woman is probably a very pleasant person with a delightful personality. Someone who, in any other circumstance, I would get along with very well, possibly even have a high regard for. But words like pleasant and delightful have largely been taken out of usage by this thing that causes us to feel mistrustful, threatened, fearful, and isolated. Truthfully, how many people do you run across who are pleasant or delightful these days, except maybe in here? The first, or the list could go on. Angry, withdrawn, divided, irritable, defensive, depressed. I hear that counselors and therapists are currently overloaded with people dealing with depression, anxiety, and hopelessness. I will elect not to address the political aspects and arguments concerning the current worldwide pandemic. This is not my focus here, nor would it be helpful, as it might, be, might only bring division, disagreement, accusation, and the like to the fore to no gain. That said, never in my lifetime has the world been so instantly, so intensely, and so intractably divided as it is now. Lines of battle are drawn around every aspect of human language, conversation, and endeavor. Every comment, let alone opinion, risks becoming inflammatory. Every word is or seems to be weaponized, doesn't it? Nothing is benign. Everything and everyone is suspect about something. The world has gone crazy, lost its collective mind or heart, or both. Everyone has drunk somebody else's Kool-Aid, and here I am, right in the middle of it, ready to lash out at an 80-year-old stranger who has had the audacity to be fearful. Dear God, enter God. You're living angry, Mark. He had my attention. He said it again. You're living angry, Mark. I had just returned to my table to collect myself and ask God what was going on in my heart. And in an instant, everybody and the whole world were narrowed down to just one person, me. It got real personal real fast. It was a revelation more than an accusation, and although it was no great big surprise, still I didn't like it. Angry at who or what? I asked him, not so much wanting to hear the answer as willing to continue the conversation. Quite honestly, I had no argument, no defense, and no reply. That I wanted to take a little old lady's head off in less than a second doesn't sit well with me. Nor for that matter, now listen to this, nor for that matter does easily taking offense at my wife or one of my children, the people that I love most in this world, 
or honking at a driver in front of me for daring to take five seconds to respond to a green light. You fill in your own blanks. That is, unless you are able to meet every small and large challenge in your day-to-day life with equanimity and grace. You're angry at the world and everyone in it because they don't do what you think is right and good, God responded. Okay, I get that. I own that one, but still as a Christian of almost 50 years, I'm I'm stinging a bit from your living angry, Mark. It's like my dentist poking at a cavity. It's obvious that it's there. I just don't want him to be poking around and just fix it. I want God to stop all the poking and fix my heart. At the same time, I'm not sure I like the idea of seeing all the ugly decay in the world and God responding by pointing out my decay. Hey, I'm the one who eats right and takes care of his teeth, and I get the blessing of a root canal. But I can't deny the pain and the anger. I just didn't see correctly where it was coming from. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. James 1.20 But God, yeah, I didn't go down real easy without a fight. Evil is proliferating everywhere and boldly. You see it more than I do. You must hate it. You have to hate the destruction it wreaks in people's lives. Everywhere, goodness and truth are being assaulted by forces that simply want wealth and power and control and who want to banish you from all government and society. And if they succeed and the light goes out, what then? Then I got personal, closer to the, it got personal, closer to the heart of the matter. They're stealing my kids' and grandkids' futures ruining their world. This part comes out with vehemence and with tears. I've had a wonderful life. They will never have the life I had or live in the world I was able to live in. I may as well have just said, God, I don't trust you with my grandkids. He listens to my complaint, but I do not feel a rebuke. He understands my broken heart. But I'm not done yet. The world is collapsing. Darkness is winning the battle. Am I just supposed to let it happen? Just give in to the overwhelming tide of evil? I thought we were supposed to stand up for truth. Be salt as well as the light. Your word even says, defend the fatherless and the widow. Rescue those who are being taken away to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. I just don't get it, I fairly yell at him. The collision of righteous anger at sin and evil with my own human anger was becoming a 90-car pileup, and he knew it. The good news, as he is able to untwist the carnage, separate the precious from the worthless in me, and redeem it all for good, and I do mean all, my heart, my grandkids' lives, a world gone mad, everything. But I needed help. Living angry was the best I could do. But thankfully, he had something very different in mind. Comfort and reassurance come in many forms, as does transformation, a changed heart that precedes changed behavior. 
They often start with listening to God show us something we don't want to see about ourselves. My friend Roy's question from the morning's conversation, are we to slice off ears, came back to me as I sat unable to extricate myself from the 90-car pileup. He was referring, of course, to the Apostle Peter, who in a zealous display of loyalty to his master and a passionate defense of the wrong kingdom, attempted to save Jesus from being arrested by a sinful mob by pulling out a sword and cutting off the high priest's servant's ear. Note, beware your motives when you try to help Jesus. I pictured Peter taking a furious swing at the man who ducked just in time to lose an ear instead of a whole head. And I remembered wanting to take the little old lady's head off with my words. I winced. Living angry is not much fun. Lord, I don't want to live angry. Please help me. And I'll stop there. Am I the only person who gets angry at the things that we see going on in the world today? If I am, I'll just end it there and head home. (laughs) Am I the only person who gets angry, even to the point of hate, at some politicians, billionaires, media people, late-night talk hosts, Am I the only one who's surprised it comes up from inside me? Am I the only one dismayed at the response that I have in my gut sometimes? Am I the only one who cringes at some of the things I read on Facebook by believers? So my question, like a few months ago, what is it that you know today is, What is it that you want? And so I'm going to start with another question. How do we live in two kingdoms at the same time? It's hard, isn't it? Has it ever been harder than it is now to live in two kingdoms? What are the two kingdoms? You know what they are. Kingdom of of God and the kingdom of, of darkness or the kingdom of this world. We've got to live in both of them, don't we? Who do they belong to? Well, I'll just give you a couple of things. Kingdom of God, Luke twenty-two twenty-four says, I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. That, of course, is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come near you, John the Baptist preached. Then Jesus preached the very same thing. The kingdom of God has come near you. This day, And then later on, we hear the words say, the kingdom of God is in your midst, or other translations say the kingdom of God is inside you. So the kingdom of God has already come, hasn't it? But it hasn't come fully yet, has it? Because when Jesus returns, the kingdom of God will fully come. And in the meantime, what's one of our prayers? Thy kingdom come. I heard it from several of you. Yeah. So, how about the kingdom of this world? Who does it belong to? Now, some of you know this. This is just elementary, but some, I think, may not know this, and we we probably would be good to, to review it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world 
and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this age has blinded them, blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Three places in John, I won't read them, Satan is called the prince of this world. Notice he's not called the king, but he's called the prince of this world. 1 John 5.19 says, We know we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, under the control of the evil one. And lastly, Matthew 4, 8 through 9 says, remember when the enemy, the devil, took Jesus up on the top of the mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, he said, and their splendor. And he said, all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Were they his to give? Well, in a way, yes, because he's the ruler of this world at this time. He's the ruler of this age. Now, just a note, God is sovereign, isn't he? God is sovereign. The enemy could not do anything that God did not allow him to do. And uh, isn't it amazing how God uses the enemy's schemes, tactics, and plans to turn against him and to advance the kingdom? That's always the case. Ezekiel, I read recently, I read chapters 1 through 33. I've been reading Ezekiel. haven't got all the way through it, but I, the first 33 chapters, I started to, to recognize that um, the sovereign Lord is in there a lot. I started to circle them. And in the first 33 chapters, that term, the sovereign Lord, not just the Lord, the Lord Almighty or anything else, the sovereign Lord is mentioned 146 times. Isn't that amazing? Book of Daniel. Let's look at just a couple of those. The book of Daniel is entirely about God's sovereignty, isn't it? First of all, Daniel says in, uh, let me see, 2, 20 through 21. Losing my place. Hold on a second. Oh. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He, he deposes kings and raises up others. And I'll stop there. What do you mean, Mark? Does that mean the last president and the one before him and the current president were put in place by God? Yes. Are they all necessarily good? No. But God has put them in their place, hasn't he? I don't know what the future holds. But each ruler has been set in place, and those who are deposed and come down are deposed by God. That's Daniel. Well, let's look at Nebuchadnezzar. What does he say in 417? The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. 
Now, is he a believer? No. But he recognizes the truth that God is sovereign over the world and sovereign over kingdoms. I'll skip the other one. So Satan may be the ruler of the world, may be the ruler of this age, but he can do only what God allows him to do. All right, next question. Are the two kingdoms compatible? No, you know that one. Just look at their values. Romans 14, 17 for just a, a sample says the kingdom is God is not of God is not eating and drinking, but what? Righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. That's right. And if we want to know what the values of the kingdom of this world are, all we have to do is look at um, 1 John 2.16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. Very different set of values, aren't they? 1 John 2.15 says, do not, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. So they're not compatible, are they? James 4. James just gets right down to business, doesn't he? He says, friendship with the world means enmity with God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So these two kingdoms are not compatible. They're very different. The kingdom of God's very upside-down kingdom, isn't it? The first is last. To live, you must die. To rule, you must serve. The greatest is the least. In dying, we live. Everything in the kingdom of God is upside-down from, from our world. But, as you know, the two worlds have to coexist. And we live in both of them. John 17, 14 through 18, just bear with me with all these scriptural these scripture references because I want to just kind of lay the background here. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. This is Jesus in his last prayer. I would think that when Jesus was dying on the cross, or right before that, when he sees himself laying on the cross, crucified, dying, that his prayer for his followers is something um, very important, wouldn't you? These, this is kind of his last will and testament, isn't it? And it cost him sweat made of blood. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. So why does he send us into the world? Because later on, he says, I'm not just praying for these here, but those that are to come. That's you and me, he prayed for. Matthew 10, 7 says, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near you. And 28, 18 says, go and make disciples. So that gives us an idea of why we are left in this world and we are sent by Jesus. He leaves but he sends us into the world. So 
we're supposed to, and we're even sent, to live in two incompatible kingdoms at the same time. Not only are they incompatible, I'd say they're in total opposition to each other. How do we do it? How do you do it? Let me ask that for just a minute. How do you do it? How do you do that? Power of the Holy Spirit, reading the Word, prayer. Pardon? Knowing the end results. That's right. Which kingdom is most important to you is probably the first question. If we have to live in two, and think about this before you answer it. Think about Monday. Think about Tuesday and Wednesday. Think about Friday. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. Why? So I can be sent into the world to advance the kingdom of God. Or thank God it's Friday so I can go go home and let down my hair. Let's think about that for a minute. Which kingdom is the most important to you? Now, I'm not saying that we've got to be crazy about this. You know, we're human. But which kingdom is the most important? First of all, I think we decide. We choose. There are places in the word that God says choose. Choose choose ye this day whom you'll serve. I remember one or two times in my life when God told me, Mark, choose. There were very quiet and serious moments because I don't think he said it lightly and he didn't want me to answer it lightly. And I was facing things that um, had great consequence. Usually um, it was because I had chosen the wrong thing for a while and God says, I lay these two before you, now choose. So first of all, we need to choose. And as Jesus was famous for asking, what do you want? So they'll phrase it that way, folks. I mean, really, honestly, what do you want? Have you ever thought about that? What do you want? John 1.38 says, turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, what do you want? Well, they were already following him. (laughs) But he asked, what do you want? On another occasion, he asked a blind man named Bartimaeus, What do you want? That was kind of a duh, wasn't it? Or was it? Was Jesus wanting to challenge him and to make him say what it is that he wanted, really wanted? Remember the man lying by the pool? Do you want to be healed? What do you want? So the question, one question, the formula question I'm asking today is, what do you want? It's an essential question. I say it's good to start with Matthew 6.33. You know that one? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. There's the two kingdoms right there, isn't it? And there's the priority. But we have to make that a decision. When Jesus was telling his disciples how to pray, what was the first thing he said? Our Father in heaven, holy, hallowed, revered is your name. And that was what was the very first thing he told us to ask for. Thy kingdom come. Do we pray that every day? I know that one of the things that I do in the morning, 
<clears throat> I try to remember every single morning is to ask him, Lord, keep your kingdom before me all day long. I leak. <laughs> you know, when I get up from here, I feel great. You and I are like this, but I leak. And this world will make you leak a lot faster, won't it? It's a crazy place. This world is, has gone nuts. <clears throat> so I have to ask him to keep it before me. How easy it is to absorb the ways of the world, isn't it? How easy it is to reach for the sword. Anytime I read Facebook or watch conservative YouTubes, not others that I don't like as much, my temperature just goes sky high. What do I reach for inside? I reach for the sword, don't I? I mean, I have so many good comebacks. <laughs> I think about the president. I think it was Eisenhower who had an entire file called Letters I Never Sent. I remember back in the late 80s and the 90s, I think I've told you about this, when I worked very intimately in politics and public policy. Um, I was the, um, the state coordinator and lobbyist for the Family Foundation for a number of years. <clears throat> And I got to see a lot of things. It was very heady times. I saw God move in amazing ways. Lots of successes, but there were also lots of failures. I got to see the ugly underside of politics, and I felt it. I felt it directed at me. People hated me. Senators and delegates hated me. Some of them made no bones about it. You know what I hated the most? I hated the hate. I don't mean their hate. I mean mine. Because if I'd worked on something for a long, long time that was pro-family, pro-life, and in a second they could kill it in committee after I'd worked for months on it, I hated it. And it was so easy for that to devolve into hating them, being angry at them and hating them, especially if they did it again and again and again. I remember this one senator, one time I was there in the opening of the session, you know, visitors can be up in the gallery up on top and all of the, the senators or the delegates, whichever chamber you're in, are down below. <clears throat> and every day they open in prayer. They have one of the, the senators choose a minister from their home district to come and open in prayer. And during this open, opening prayer, I was up there in the gallery and I was looking down and I saw this one senator who was probably um, public enemy number one in terms of family values and family policies and things like that. And I was just kind of looking for a little bit with my head bound. I saw him and he was turned looking at the gallery. He wasn't even listening to the prayer and he was just kind of you know, arrogantly looking at the gallery and his eyes and mine met. And I just looked at him and something in me says, I'll be darned if I turn my eyes away. And evidently something in him said the same, in him said the same thing. So for the entire prayer, we glared at each other. 
I call it the death stare. <laughs> I reached for the sword, didn't I? Was I, when I was up there in Capitol Hill, was I passionately defending the wrong kingdom? I don't know. You ever hear somebody up here say, I don't know? Well, I don't know. I think I did a lot of good, but um, the sword came up. Is it wrong to be politically active in defense of the family, the unborn, victims of abuse, sexual trafficking? Is it wrong? I don't know if I'd say that. To what degree do I get involved? And I'm asking each of you, to what degree do you get involved in these kinds of things? I don't know. I'd say answering back on Facebook is probably not going to convince anybody or win any souls. It's probably not even going to win anybody's heart or opinion, is it? You haven't changed anybody's mind with one of your posts? Compare that with how many times you put out a post in something and you says, there. <laughs> I've done a few of those, and then I stopped. <clears throat> so I wouldn't say that it's wrong to be involved in politics and public policy and to stand up for those who are being victimized and stand up for the truth. But when I hated those who hated me and hated God, I was just cutting off ears, wasn't I? Our sword, meaning the truth, is meant to be a sword that we use against the enemy of our souls, not a club to use against our opponents, right? You ever use the sword as a club against one of our opponents? I wouldn't even say God's opponents, unless I quickly say I was one of them before he saved me. So he used the sword of truth to me, and I grabbed it and turned it around and used it as a club against people who are just like me. I remember I met this fellow on the street when I was, many, many years ago, I was um, not picketing. I chose to do the sidewalk counseling down at the, the abortion clinic in Newport News once a week. And uh, this fellow came up and was uh, approached me and, and um, he got to talking and, and giving his side. He was rather gen gentlemanly about it. But he opposed our position, and he was in the, what's it called, the Metropolitan Church. And um, it came out, he said that he was a homosexual, and he objected to how, um, you know, the, we treated gays. And I basically said, well, look, let's not talk about gays. Let's say what it is, homosexuals. No, let's really call it what it is, sodomites. And if you don't repent, you're going to hell. <laughs> Think I want him? <laughs> No, my club ran them off. That's all we had to say to each other that day. Thank God I've learned a little bit since then. But how easy is it for righteous anger at sin and evil to slip into human anger, even hatred towards those who perpetuate it? You know, I would say, how much do you get involved in politics and public policy? A scripture comes to me from Romans 14 that says, let each man be convinced in his own mind. Now, they're talking about eating and drinking, but you could put in a lot of things in that blank, couldn't you? 
wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, right? Being involved in public policy or not. You put in a lot of things there. Let each man be convinced in his own mind because um, each man will give an account of himself to God. <clears throat> a compassionate heart and an insistence on goodness and righteousness in other people don't go hand in hand, do they? The world has a saying for this, don't they? You can't legislate morality. And before we jump up and say, well, well, you're, you're just legislating your own morality. You're the one that's trying to legislate morality. Let's stop for a minute. We're right. We're trying to legislate morality. We are trying to come over them and make them behave, right? And do what's right. Instead of come under them and serve and win them by love. I remember back then, too, the the abortion clinic, there was a woman who came. She was maybe she about 30. She already had a child who, no, maybe older than that, because she had a child who was about 11 at home. So she was in her 30s. And um, she wouldn't come out on the, on the sidewalk and talk to me, but she said, you can come in my van. And so, um, you know, it's they would arrest us for trespassing if we got on their property. We checked it out carefully and had to stay on the sidewalk. But uh, she allowed me. I kind of snuck around and got in her van and sat in her van with her. And um, I pleaded with her about this baby's life. I showed her pictures of an unborn child in lots of different stages. And she all she did was cry and cry and cry and cry. But um, her response was, I have to do this. And then God put it in my heart to tell her about Jesus Christ. And so I shared the gospel. And um, 20 minutes before her scheduled, fully paid abortion, she gave her life to Christ in her van and said to me, I'm not even going inside to get my money back. I'm going home to hug my 11-year-old son. And I remembered that that morning, God's amazing. This is just a little anecdote. That morning, when I was praying with my pastor, Bob, he did something that he had only done once in the 30-plus years we knew each other. He reached in his wallet and pulled out a $20 bill and said, I don't know why I'm supposed to give this to you, but here. I said, thanks, Bob. I put it in my wallet. And the woman says, I don't know how I'm going to get home. All I have is a quarter of a tank of gas, and I live on the other side of Richmond. I said, well, guess what? God gave me this to give to you today. And so um, this woman's need was met in every way, but she was only touched in her heart by the love of Christ. You know, in John 18, that whole thing about uh, Peter in the garden, um, remember when he slices off the ear of the high priest's servant? What did Jesus say? He said, enough, put your sword away. If you look at that carefully, it doesn't say put the sword away. It says what? Put your sword away. So the first two things that I mentioned are to decide. And secondly, to ask. Ask God to keep the kingdom of God before you every day. The third thing I would say is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody over here mentioned that. Be, be filled with the Holy Spirit 
And the scripture that says that means be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a present tense, present continuous tense. Don't get spirit filled, spirit baptized, and that's it. Every day, as many times a day as you need to, ask him to fill you up. Lord, fill me right now with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. John 20, 21, and 22 says, Again, I said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So after he sent them, knowing that it was impossible for, the, for them to live in two kingdoms at the same time by themselves, he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now he did say, Wait until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that happened, and they're all changed. And then they are able to live in two kingdoms at the same time. But Peter did a pretty miserable job before that, didn't he? He wasn't alone. It says all his disciples deserted him. What a crowd, I tell you. Number four, I would say, abide. Abide, abide, abide. What does abide mean? Hmm? Stay close. Live. Reside. It's from the same root as abode, which is a house. Live right here. Live in me, and I'll live in you. So uh, if we find ourselves wandering, if we find ourselves with the world just being so abrasive that um, we are kind of getting fleshly, frustrated, angry, um, Remember to abide in him. Get back to him. Get back to home base. Pray without ceasing. That's another one somebody mentioned. These you know, but as I said, these are good reminders. Matthew 5, says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be true children of your father. Um, I have a number of people who are on my list, (laughs) national figures. And for a long time, if I'm honest, I'd have to say they're my hate list. They are on my hate list. Senators and above. Um, Governors, let yourself fill in the names. Congressmen and women, as I said before, late night talk hosts, billionaires whose money can do whatever they want to do, which may not be the good and the right thing to do. Um, These were on my hate list. At one point, God said, I want you to make that your prayer list. I say, pray for your enemies. You know, if you start praying for these people that you, quote, unquote, get angry at or hate, if you read enough, if you start praying for them, first of all, you realize that they weren't born for this, right? That's not the purpose God put them on this earth for. Is it it the end of their days? Has their last chance come? Can they be won at the last hour for Christ? Can he appear to them in a dream of the night? Can he send them somebody 
to speak to them and it breaks their heart open? Yes. Are we to judge how likely that is or isn't? No. Not only that, if we pray for them, I started praying for them and I discovered I can't pray for them and hate them. You can't do both, can you? So if you've got an angry list, or if you're like me, you've got a hate list, turn it into your prayer list. That you may be true children of your Father. Lastly, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You know, he told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Remember that? He's, how many people here has God told you one time or another, be strong and courageous? Okay. Are we supposed to pull up our strength and our courage? No. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And what's the rest? Hmm? For the weapons of our warfare, right? They're not carnal, but supernatural. Just as I wrap up, I'm going to repeat those again. Choose. I'm going to challenge you. If you have not, I mean, you have, you probably have, you've got the mind of Christ. You're saved. You know what is right and what's wrong. You've seen how the world is going. You probably don't like a lot of it, right? You come here to get refreshed. You experience the love of God. You want to do what's right. You want to serve him. You want to be useful in his kingdom with the gifts and the purposes and the passions that God's put in you. But have you chosen, have you told him today, I choose your kingdom to be the primary kingdom in my life. Every day, Monday morning, 12 o'clock, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday. Thank God it's Friday. I want your kingdom to be foremost in my heart and on my mind. And remind me, remind me, remind me. So I'm going to challenge you to choose, to ask him to remind you, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to abide in him, to pray without ceasing, especially for your enemies, and to be strong in the strength of his mind. Now, before we pray, just a little epilogue to my story. Not a very big thing, but it was for me in that moment. When I got up from Panera after God told me you're living angry and why, um, I sat there and I let him do some heart work in me. And you know, it's, it's two persons that, involve, that are involved in heart work, right? him and you. And in that case, I had to ask him to forgive me for wanting to take the lady's head off and uh, for being angry and for living angry. And he just brought so many things to my mind, how, many, how that branched out into my life. And I had to ask him to forgive me and change me, change my heart. And, and that may not be a once and done thing, right? I have to be praying continually. I have to be abiding in him. I have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in that moment, it was a very real transaction. And um, what I heard him say was, you know, Mark, you don't have to live with a mask. You don't have to live without a mask. You can live through a mask. And 
I got up and I started to walk out. And uh, an elderly man came in the door. You notice how you're walking around now? It's, it's not real frequent that people make eye contact with you. I don't know what this whole mask thing does, except that it's social distancing at its clearest and best and most, right? It's not social distancing isn't just six feet, is it? It's social. And so it's separating us. And I won't go any further with that, whether it's intentional or not. But we'll just say it's socially distancing. And um, I find myself, if I can't read people's signs on their face, their smile, or their uh, good morning, which is kind of just a low good morning, um, I don't look at their eyes as much. There's not as much eye contact. Life is mechanical, isn't it? You just go to the grocery store, you buy your groceries, and you go home. Go to Panera, get your coffee, take your mask off, and have fun with your friend. Put your mask on, and then you're mechanical again. So I, this man was coming in with a mask on, and I had a mask on, and I said to him, good morning. And he looked at me and said, well, good morning to you. How are you? And I said, I'm great. How are you? He said, fine. And I went my way, and he went his. And the Lord showed me, Mark, you can live right through a mask. I said, Put it on if you're supposed to, but you can ignore it. You can live right through it. He is amazing with his encouragement and hope. And that's the word I want to live to end with. What do you want? What do you hope for? We're called Living Hope Church, right? So um, what do you hope for? And what, who do you hope in are two very different questions, aren't they? I hope for a different day in our country. I hope, yes, I hope for revival. I hope for certain kinds of government to be restored. I hope for civility to be restored. I hope for connection between people when we go in and out of stores in Panera. That be restored. I hope for a lot of those things, don't you? I hope that certain things that we have legislated and accepted will be, um, well, yeah, that's a way to put it, good, torn down. Abortion and pornography and child abuse and those things. Um, I don't know if that'll ever happen. We're not guaranteed. Some here would believe that the future of our country is that we will be restored and that God will bring a revival. I certainly hope for that. But you know what? There's been a lot of nations in history that God has done otherwise to in the depth of their sin and turning from him. So if we're praying for revival, I'm just postulating this. If we're praying for revival, is it also likely that the church would not get fervent in their prayer for revival until things get really bad? Do you know the mind of, of God? I don't. I know what I want. I know what I hope for. But more than that, I know who I hope in. And that's him. Praise God. Well, let's pray this morning. And just for a moment before we do that, you may want to decide which kingdom you want to be your highest priority today when you go home and tomorrow and every day. Father, 
what an amazing time in history that you've put us in. And you deliberately put us in this time to live. The same as you've done with our children, our grandchildren, our parents. And Father, you have a purpose for each one of us. You have a design, an identity in Christ, and a destiny and a purpose for each one of us. And Father, none of that's individual. It all fits together in your kingdom. Because Jesus didn't come just to preach salvation. He came to introduce a kingdom. And so, Lord, we want that kingdom. And we don't want to just sit by and ask you to bring it. We want to do what you have purposed for each one of us to do to usher in the kingdom. We know that you're the one who will usher it in, but we don't even understand why you've invited us to participate, what difference we make or anything like that. We just know that you've told us, go and make disciples. And so, Father, we we want to lay aside the ways of the world and um, anything that would um, move us away from your kingdom operating in the wrong kingdom. Lord, forgive us for drawing out the sword and slicing off ears at times, even if it's just in our heart, especially if it's with our words or our deeds. I know I've done it. I don't want to do it. So we ask for your forgiveness for that. We ask you, Lord, to, um, what does it say in your word? Cleanse us from all defilement of flesh and spirit so that we can be useful in your kingdom. We pray this morning, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And each of you, each of us here this morning, if you care to, if you've been spoken to at all by the Holy Spirit, you can ask him now, Lord, I want, I ask you to make your kingdom, the kingdom of God, my priority every minute of every day. Help me abide in you. Fill me continually with your Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, to be strong in your strength and in your might. Because, God, you deserve it all. You deserve the glory. You deserve the praise and the honor. Because you're beautiful. You are awesome. You are everything that is good. You're eternal. You're wonderful. You are amazing. We can't even begin to exhaust all the amazing superlative things about you. And you are sovereign. Thank you that you are sovereign. And we bless your name this morning. In the name of your precious son, Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you, folks, for your patience. Good to be back. God bless you all.